Hey guys, it's Justin here. Happy Sunday to you all. Uh, glad that we get to be together to join in and worship and praising God through our online platform. Um, this past week, Jacob and Lisa and the kids, they've been on vacation. And so I get the privilege of being able to share a few thoughts with you today from our passage of scripture. A really cool passage um, that we're going to look at. Uh, the last couple months, we've been in this series called Watch and Learn. It's really simple focus. Essentially, it's learning to treat people the way that Jesus did. So each week we've taken a different story from the Gospel of John, and we've tried to observe Jesus interacting with a person or a group of people and make some uh, observations and applications to our own lives of how we can learn to treat people like Jesus did. That's essentially the goal. Um, today is the last lesson in this series. And we're going to look at a relationship. Uh, the relationship we're going to look at is Jesus and his apostles. And we're going to do that specifically through the story in John chapter 13 of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Really awesome story, and um, I'm looking forward to diving in with that uh, with you guys today. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to have that so you could follow along. I'd encourage you to circle words, underline verses and phrases, take notes, things that stand out to you as you read through this or, or hear this. And, um, and for our kids who are participating, I want to invite you to join in on the, the kids challenge this week. We'd love to see you draw a picture of this story of Jesus washing the apostles' feet. And then you could take a picture of your drawing and then text that to me and Jacob. And one of us will make sure to get you uh, a prize sometime this week and swing by and drop that off. So thanks for participating in that. Before we get into the heart of our text today and the, the observations that I want to share with you, uh, will you join me in prayer? Lord God, uh, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that the word became flesh and that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning. And as always, Lord, I pray that you would make us more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump into the text here. I'm going to read from John chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 17. So follow along. John writes this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. 
That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. It's a really beautiful story, and um, it, it's come to mean a lot to me, especially after an experience I had a couple years ago. I had the chance to go on uh, a leader's retreat with uh, the leaders from the church, so the elders and ministers went. Um, this was shortly after uh, Darren and Phil had just officially come on board as, as elders. Uh, Mick was still here, uh, Rod was there, Bill was there, and then me and Jacob. So there were seven of us men who went out to a cabin one weekend, and we basically spent the weekend in prayer. Uh, we did some planning, we, we connected with each other, we thought a lot about the congregation and, and needs, and, um, and just a lot of prayer. It was a very impactful weekend, but one moment in particular that was, uh, has left a lasting memory and mark on me. And it was part of our Sunday morning worship. Um, as we gathered together, we got a couple basins, and we filled them with some water, and we got towels, and we sat in a circle, and we washed each other's feet. And, you know, I, I'll say this, it, it was an emotional experience. I, I was kind of surprised about my reaction, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, I, I think all of us would acknowledge that the seven of us grown men sat in a circle washing each other's feet and were kind of, you know, wiping tears away. Um, it was a powerful moment. And I think it's been a, a huge part of a shared experience that has transformed our relationships as we work together on this team as, as church leaders. Um, and so it's, it was this incredible moment, and it's given me some different insight into how I see this passage. You know, one of the things that always stands out to me about Jesus and the Twelve is the Twelve that he chose to put together as a team. Um, I always find it so interesting because it's just so unlikely, the pairing that happens. I don't mean that, you know, he shouldn't have chose those people because of some of their flaws or anything like that. We all have flaws, I acknowledge that. But it seemed like he kind of tried intentionally to mix oil and water. I mean, when you have like this, a tax collector and a zealot, you put them on the same team. And then you, you have the hard-headed and the stubborn Peter putting his foot in his mouth all the time. You have the sons of thunder asking, hey, can I have the seats of honor, one at your right and one at your left? Um, you have them at this very meal arguing over which one was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, I, I look at that and I just like, man, Jesus, you, you really paired them up. You know, you, you picked an interesting team. I think if I was picking the team, it probably wouldn't have been those 12. It probably would have been people who saw things fairly similar, similarly. Uh, people that saw things like I do, because you know I want them to you know, listen to me and uh, my ideas are best kind of mindset. Um, you know, I, I would have picked people more like that. I think some of the 12 wouldn't have made the cut. And so I find it really interesting because it gives such an insight into how Jesus sees the differences in these 12, how he values the differences in these 12. And so what does that reveal to us then about how he loves 
and values the diversity found in the church. You know, a couple months back, me and a minister friend, we were, um, we were talking, and well, let's be honest, we were venting, okay? Uh, and we were talking about just people and how frustrated we can get by, by people. And it's, it was really kind of a sad observation. It wasn't something we were proud of because we recognize that we are ministers to humanity. And yet humanity can drive us crazy sometimes and it can be so frustrating. And I, I told him, I said, you know, um, it's really hard for me to picture eternity. Spending eternity with certain people just is, is mind-boggling. Like, what are we going to talk about? How is there not going to be arguments and fights? Uh, it, it just, it's mind-boggling for me. And my friend, he made a comment um, I really liked. He said, the table is long in the house of the Lord. It's a great quote, right? And I told him, I said, yes, and amen to that because that means I have a seat too. But I sure hope that there are certain people that I don't want to sit next to at that table. In fact, I told him, hey, put me at the kids' table because those are my people. You know, that's, that, that's where I'll be happiest. But church, I confess to you, how sad is that thinking? I'm not proud of that. I want to be more like Jesus. What I see in this example of the story is Jesus washed all 12 of their feet. All of them. Even the one who was going to betray him. It says he knew Judas was going to betray him. And he still washed his feet. I talked about the emotions in our circle as we washed each other's feet. Imagine Judas, who, who knew what he was about to do. Imagine the emotions he must have felt having his feet washed by Jesus. Jesus washed all of their feet. He loved all of them. He saw value in all of them and what they brought to the kingdom work that was set out before them. You know, my thinking, if I want to be like Jesus, it shouldn't be, hey, I hope I don't have to sit next to that person at the table. What I want my thinking to be is, I hope I get to be the guy who washes everyone's feet when they arrive to the table. That's the type of thinking I want to have. And I confess to you today, church, that is so difficult for me. I tend to lean more, much more easily toward selfish instincts than I do toward selfless instincts. And I tend to, just along with the rest of the world, we see so many examples of division all around us in society and in our nation. And uh, whether it's a theological worldview difference or just religious beliefs in general, whether it's political views, whether it's some other general worldview, there are, there's so much division and so much arguing out there. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to picture how we're all going to come together. What I, what I see in this story and what I've seen in our team of elders, who are also very different, by the way, um, is relationship changes everything in how we view each other. You know, to have this shared experience with these men who sometimes I don't, I don't agree with everything they think. I think generally speaking, theologically, we're pretty well aligned. But I know our political views are different. I know some of our other general worldviews are different at times. And yet we have this camaraderie of how we work together because the relationship was first. And we have been men who have actually washed each other's feet. The impact of that, when you lean in for intimacy and relationship, I think it transforms division. And I want to throw that out there as an observation from this passage and as a challenge for us. Um, because I know that's difficult. It's difficult for me and I confess that to you today. 
Another observation that I have from this passage that, uh, that really stands out to me, and I, I don't know why it hit me differently this last couple weeks. I, I've known this observation before, but it just hit me differently. Um, in verse 1, it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. This was Jesus last night alive. Now, again, I've, I've known that. I've read this passage before, and I, I know this is part of what's called the farewell discourse, John chapters 13 through 17 of this meal and this feast and time with his friends, this leading up to this beautiful prayer in John 17, and then that will go into kind of the passion narratives in 18 and, and onward. Um, but this is Jesus' last night alive. But not only was it his last night alive, he knew it was his last night alive. It says, he knew that his hour had come to return to the Father. It got me thinking about the movie Bucket List. I don't know if you guys have seen it. If you haven't, I recommend it. It's a great movie. Uh, I'm going to give some spoilers. Sorry. Uh, but essentially, the, the main plot hook is two, two men who find out that they are diagnosed with terminal illness. And they are told they don't have much longer to live. And so they create this list, this bucket list that essentially is the things that you want to do and experience before you kick the bucket, before you die. And so the things on their list are things like skydiving and racing fast cars, uh, eating these awesome meals, luxurious meals in dream locations, uh, traveling the world and seeing different spots that they wanted to see, um, things like that. And so the movie kind of follows them around chasing after and crossing these things off the bucket list. I don't know about you guys, but when I consider my own mortality, that type of list makes so much sense to me. Because I think those would be the types of thing on, things on my list. If someone told me, hey, you got a couple days left to live, it would be like, how do I pack in all the, the best fun and enjoyment and all these pleasurable experiences and things before I go? Like, there, There's a lot that I want to experience and do. I think what my bucket list reveals, it reveals more about how much I love myself and my life than it does about how much I love God and others. And what I see with Jesus here is the exact opposite. Because I'll tell you one thing that definitely wouldn't be on my bucket list if someone said you have one day left to live. Washing feet would probably not be on my bucket list. I, again, I'm not proud of that fact, but it's, it's true. It, it probably wouldn't be on my list. And I want to be more like Jesus. And when I see Jesus' list, his bucket list reveals so much about how he loved his disciples. It says he loved them, and he loved them to the very end. His bucket list reveals that, and his actions reveal that. In a couple chapters later, Jesus is going to say a, a real well-known scripture. He says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And when I picture that, I often think of the cross, right? The, the greatest act of love that was, was done for all of humanity. It's a, it's a, a powerful image. Um, but the washing of the feet, I think, informs something more to this, this idea of what it looks like to lay down your life for your friends. Because I think it goes beyond just... Um, you know, the, uh, the, the taking a bullet moment. What I mean by that is often when I think of laying down your life, I think of the cross or I think of rushing into the burning building to lay down my life to rescue others. I think of, you know, taking a bullet for someone, being willing to die for them. 
I think what Jesus' actions have revealed to us in, in all of these stories, but, but here at the end of his life again uh, revealed to us, that laying down your life for your friends is not just being willing to die for them, it is being willing to live for them, right? It's not, Christian servanthood is not just about occasional acts of kindness and love. It is about basing your whole life around that and, and living that out even to the very end. That's something I see modeled in Jesus that I want to get better at. I want to I live and operate from that lens of so confident in the gospel you know, so confident in the fact that I've come from God and I'm going to return to God and that it's only by the grace of God that I even have these promises and these assurances of, of Christ. Um, that should shape everything about how I choose to live this life, even to the very end, no matter the circumstances going on around us. I was thinking about um, a story I heard my grandma told, tell me about a man named Father Damien. I don't know if you've heard of Father Damien. He was a missionary in the 1800s. He came from Belgium and then went to Hawaii. Um, and during that time, leprosy was a really big deal in Hawaii. And so what the Hawaiians were doing is they were basically rounding up all the lepers from the different islands, and they were sending them to Molokai, and essentially this one kind of spot where they were sent to kind of fend for themselves, build a community, and this is going to be where you die. We're separating and isolating you so that other people don't catch leprosy. Well, Father Damien heard that there was a need to go and serve this community, both spiritually and physically. They had all sorts of needs. And so he went, and he lived amongst the lepers. Uh, and this became his home. This became his family and his community. And he served them, and he did all sorts of things, including fighting to, to make uh, this disease more known and uh, building schools and all of these different elements of how he served this community. After about 12 years of living uh, in this community, he ended up getting leprosy. Uh, shortly after, a few years later, he would die from this disease. And in, his, uh, in a letter that he wrote to his brother, right near the end of his life, uh, he wrote this. He says, I am gently going to my grave. It is the will of God, and I thank him very much for letting me die of the same disease and in the same way as my lepers. I am very satisfied and happy. Now, I read this, and I think about Father Damien's example of his care for the sick and the outcasts and his willingness to just go, right? To, to knowing that he was kind of putting himself in danger of catching the disease, which he did. He ended up dying from this. He was willing to go so that he could serve and live amongst them. See, Father Damien seems to really have a strong grasp of the gospel, and this has shaped his whole life of how he chose to live. And I hear these words of Jesus. I, I see Father Damien as someone who really seemed to understand this message of the washing of the feet. That Jesus loved his disciples. He loved them to the very end. I hear those same words echoed in these words of Father Damien to his brother. He loved this community. And he loved them to the very end, even if it meant giving his life for them. It's a beautiful story. And another observation, just as we look at this passage of what we can see from Jesus, about what it means to really lay down our life for our friends, for our family, for humanity. Um, 
And I, I think there's a lot of ways that we can look at our situation currently and maybe make some applications of how are we living into this message of the gospel, no matter the circumstances going on around us. You know, as we kind of work toward um, our close here for today, um, one of the things that has really stood out to me in this passage, is, and, and I want to kind of make this our application piece, not only for today's message, but for this whole series. Okay, and it's, it's verse 17. I'm going to read it one more time, and I want you to hear these words. Jesus says, Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This verse really stood out to me um, for, for several reasons, but I'll, I'll share with you one major one of why it stood out to me so much. It prompted me to ask the question, why don't we wash feet regularly? Why isn't this something that uh, that we practice. I, I don't even really see this practice much in Christianity in general. I know there are some who this is a, a regular part of their practice, but I don't see it very much. Since I've been a Christian, I've had a couple times where we've done this, and it's been those special occasions. So it led me to ask the question, well, why not? You know, Jesus in verse 14, he sounds pretty clear. He says, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And I hear that, and it's like, that sounds pretty clear. He seems, it sounds kind of literal. Often when I've heard this passage taught or, or lessons explaining it, it's sort of like, well, you know, Jesus isn't saying literally we have to wash each other's feet. He's figuratively, you know, serve, be humble. He's given this example of Christian servanthood. Now, honestly, I'm glad that over history, Christians have kind of interpreted it this way. Because I don't really want people washing my feet. It's not something I want to practice. If we started instituting that at our church, I'd probably stick with online model for, for a little while so I, I could avoid that. Um, but I, I know there's other places in the Bible where we've taken one verse. Historically, Christians have taken one verse or two verses and, and made rules and laws about them, whether that had to do with um, salvation and baptism or women's roles or plenty other examples we could think of. Uh, we're aware that that's happened. But here's one where Jesus kind of says directly, and this is directly from Jesus, and yet we kind of go, well, figuratively, we can wash feet. So it just got me thinking about verse 17. Jesus says, well, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I wonder if the interpretation would be different if that verse said, now that you know these things, you'll be cursed if you don't do them. What I mean by that is, it, sometimes I feel like in my faith, um, and maybe some of you can relate, my approach is often more about how do I avoid God's curse versus how do I pursue God's blessing. Okay, I'll give you an example. If I took my marriage, if I approached my marriage from the lens of saying, my whole motivation is I don't want to get divorced. That is a very different motivation than if I said, I want a strong and healthy marriage. I want good communication and intimacy with my wife. I want to serve each other. I want to be a good partners and support system for each other. Those are very different motivations in how I'm going to approach my marriage. If I'm honest with you, sometimes just avoiding divorce might be my motivation. And then that structures everything about my servanthood and all of those things in my marriage. It, it, it changes how, I, how much effort I put into it. 
I think the same is true about our faith. And so I, I got to really thinking about verse 17. And I don't say this because I'm, I'm hoping that we make some change and that feet washing becomes a regular part of what we do. But I want to take Jesus at his word. And I want to invite us today, church, pursue the blessing. We've looked at so many different examples over the last couple months of Jesus' life. This is one more really powerful example that he gives us. And I want us to pursue the blessing. He says, if, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I want us to pursue after that. You know, there's sometimes where I feel like when I'm teaching a lesson or, or doing a sermon or a thought, that I can proudly say along with Paul, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As you've heard today from some of my examples, um, I don't feel like I can really do that today. I don't feel like I can really say that to you honestly, church, because I don't think I've done very well at some of these examples that Jesus has given us of selflessness. I've, if anything, been leaning more toward selfishness. And, and I'm not proud of that. I acknowledge that and I confess that to you today and I want to be more like Jesus. But I also want to acknowledge that there are many in this congregation, I'm really grateful that there are many examples of people who I think could proudly say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Since COVID has created all of this uh, sheltering in and I have seen so many creative examples of the church trying to uh, connect with each other and serve each other and show love to each other and encouragement, whether it's food deliveries for our babies, whether it's um, phone calls, birthdays, and just otherwise, whether it's um, all the efforts that have gone on from um, uh, Sandra, for example, who put together this whole worship and has been organizing children's ministry stuff for the kids, and her and Amanda did a Bible Bucks. Why? Because they know the kids would love it. Um, I've heard about some recent curbside worship visits that the Parnells and McRandalls have done where they've driven up to homes knowing that some people are really missing that in-person worship and they've parked outside and, and sang together in the front yard. So many cool examples of how this church is trying to live into the heart of this message of serving each other and loving each other. Grocery runs for people, love that was shown to our graduates. And the last one I want to share with you, because I think it's important that you know this, is hours, I've seen it personally, hours of prayer and devotion and discussion and meetings from our elders here at the church who love this church so much and, and love you all so much that they are on their knees praying and, and demonstrating what it looks like to wash the feet of this congregation. They've been a great example to me. And I want to share that with you. I think it's important we continue to tell these stories of the ways that we see people living into these examples of Christ. As we grow, as we learn, we confront oftentimes things that we thought we knew or thought we had right. And, and the growth process means sometimes confronting them and learning that, you know, we know better now. And I think as we know better, we try to do better. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I want to encourage us today, church, pursue the blessings. We've seen these examples. We've had some great lessons here through this Gospel of John, and there's plenty more. And there's going to be another great series starting next week that we have to look forward to. I want to encourage us and challenge us, pursue the blessing. I know this hasn't been an easy time. I'm going to wrap up with this thought. Jesus washed all 12 of the, of the disciples' feet. Uh, including the one who betrayed him, uh, including Peter, is just he's 
saying stuff. He has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus washed all of their feet. There are many of us who may be feeling overwhelmed during this time for whatever reason. It could be a sin issue. It could be just other things going on in our lives. Jesus is calling and he wants to wash our feet. And there are some of you who may not really have a relationship with Jesus or really know what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, to give your life to him. And I want to encourage you, if, if, if you're in that situation, call me. Let's talk about this. Because this story is such an example of the God that we serve, who will get down on his knees and wash the feet of his followers. What kind of God does that? says a lot about the one that we follow and that we serve. He's calling us. He wants to wash our feet so that then we can go and wash other feet. Be, be blessed so we can be a blessing. I hope that's one of the things that we can take away from this series and from this message today. Now that we know these things, blessed are we if we do them. Pursue God's blessing. Thank you guys for, uh, for the time today. And uh, I'm praying for all of you. I hope you have a great week. And uh, keep reading. Keep studying those, uh, the example of Jesus that he sets for us. And uh, keep praying for each other. Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.